Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 221st episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. November is all about parenting with equity and well-being in mind. So today we're going to be focusing on well-being and to join me to do this is the brilliant Dr. Naomi Irvine. Dr. Naomi Irvine specializes in helping leaders improve their relationships and results in complex organizations through fierce conversations, gender empowerment, personal effectiveness, leadership development and coaching and mentoring. Her services support organizations to maximize retention of valued staff members, attract a diverse workforce, build resilience and creativity, as well as promoting the advancement of underrepresented groups. She's trained in Fierce Conversations, an intervention to support organizational change. She delivers mandatory equalities training and bespoke away days for the third sector, as well as leadership development for emergent leaders in the higher education sector and knowledge transfer, particularly with research culture in STEM. She's had a career that spans many organizations with a PhD from the University of Cambridge, followed by being a research associate and working at Nottingham Trent University and the University of Leicester. Now she's the owner of Dr. Naomi Unlimited, and I'm delighted to have her on the show to talk more about parenting with well-being in mind as a professional who is running her own business. Naomi, a huge welcome to the show. Layla, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this for weeks and I'm delighted to be able to talk this through with you. Thank you for having me. No, we're delighted that you're here and I've just read out your bio, but I think it'd be great if you could tell listeners what you're working on at the moment. So I help leaders to have better conversations about their leadership. And what's making a massive difference, what's really striking me at the moment is that the conversations are changing all the time. So I'm doing much less around what it means to lead and the mechanics of leadership and far more around the environment in which people are leading and the impact that their leadership culture or the organizational culture is having on them. And I think that's so needed right now. And, um, you know, what's the appetite for that at the moment? How are you finding those discussions? How receptive are people to that? I think people are quite receptive because I work a lot with schools and universities and especially in the university sector, people talk much more about research culture now. But what's interesting is that for years I've watched the term culture trip off the tongue and people would use the term really passively. So they just go, oh, but that's culture, isn't it? As if it had nothing to do with them. And um, so I've spent quite a bit of time with people just kind of just saying really gentle things like, you know, what's this, what's this conversation telling you? What's all this information telling us? How does it relate to other things you're doing? How is this all fitting together? What's this bit for? What's that bit for? How is this affecting the way that you lead? Um, so I find that with that approach, people can be very, very receptive. And um, I'm finding it's getting a lot more traction as I can point out to people quite quickly that the sorts of things that we're talking about are not a given. They are products or outcomes that that culture is producing. And I find that once people start to see the significance of these throwaway comments, they can be very, very engaged in trying to use these kind of micro moments to turn things around. And that's, yeah, that's really interesting, that point around culture tripping off the tongue. Absolutely. And I'm thinking about your parenting journey so far and the culture change around that potentially for you as an individual. Um, And it's a difficult thing to do, but how would you summarize your parenting journey so far, if you can, or in in, a particular aspect that you'd like to talk about? Well, it's an interesting one because I, I have I wear different hats. So I'm going to try and speak about this in the round as far as I can. So I'm I'm a mum, I'm a business owner, I'm a parent, 
um, on, on many, many different things. And I think that one of the things that's kind of struck me is that as I've become more experienced as a, as a parent, um, the less I know about parenting, because I'm bringing up my kids to kind of be their own people. And I've got to be able to, I suppose, when they were tiny, so if I think about um, being being a, a mum to, to, to little babies, it's very much about keeping them safe and um, making sure that their kind of physical needs are met and that, you know, when they cry, they get a cuddle and that I hold their hand and I talk to them about different things around them. And they've got a very, very tight leash. You know, emotionally, there's not an awful lot of harm that can be done at that stage. You know, they don't, they're not that rude. <laughs> they do funny things it's all very cute and and I know where they've gone to sleep I know who they've talked to I know what they've eaten so there's in that that sense one of the things about being a parent is that you might have heard this expression before I was a great parent until I had kids um and I'm a great parent now until the next challenge so for me it's being on this trajectory of being a parent is almost I would almost say it's like constantly humbling myself as I as I build my relationship with these people who are half me half their dad and a hundred percent someone else um and kind of listening to them and and having to remember that whatever worked yesterday won't might not work tomorrow and just, just to keep going and to remind myself that that in and of itself is is the outcome is just to keep going there's no such thing as perfection i feel absolutely no pressure to get it right all the time and and some people might be quite shocked by that because um you know, there's there are so many different ways that people will tell you to parent and so many different ways that people judge other people's parenting. And I think that really when I when I bring sort of distill it down, it's about just trying to constantly reflect and have confidence that I'm doing my best and to look at the person in front of me and think, well, how are they doing? How's this all working between us? Um, and I, so I suppose that's how I reconcile it day by day. And sometimes it's sometimes it's good and sometimes it just isn't. Um. But I think that humility for me is a huge part of, of how I try to negotiate the challenges. I love the way you said, you know, you're a best parent until you're a parent. Yeah, and, uh, I was great at it before. So am I, <laughs> Naomi, and that's why I'm the fun auntie. I have them and I give them back and that's yes. what it's about. <laughs> yes, and you're a trusted adult in, in somebody else's life. And, and, and that's really, really important. Kids have got to learn to trust all adults. They do. That's, yeah, that's a very interesting perspective. And thinking about then, then what does the term parenting with well-being mean? You know, parenting with well-being in mind mean to you? That's interesting, and I've I've enjoyed thinking about that question in particular. So I think that for me, there's a mixture of how it is that I look after myself so that I can look after them. So that 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 thinking on a fairly fairly pragmatic level, you know, what does day to day routine care comfort need to be in our home what makes our home the place that's safe um reassuring a place that we can enjoy all enjoy being in that we retreat from a world that is complex and that they've got to learn to navigate so um so it's first and foremost it's about being able to to, to kind of teach my children or to talk to them about the fact that their well-being is something that they need to take active care of and that it won't always be great and it won't always be awful. Um, but the other sort of complexion for me in this is that I've got boys. And we, we know that we, we that one of the things that gets me about watching parenting overall, and I said about judgment, and I can't pretend I don't silently watch and think, hmm, might not say that myself. And the, the care that it that one has to take rather than criticize somebody's parenting because it's so personal, is that 
people parent boys and girls differently. So one of the things I made an effort to do very, very early on was to think about the stereotypes that were going to come into their world um, and the stereotypes that come into their friends' worlds, especially their, you know, their friends who are, who are female, because I watched them being parented very differently. And I felt that that was a source of an awful lot that we could, we could work with and that we could talk about constructively to, to really understand what it means to care for another person. Um, because my little boy said to me one day, he said, boys don't have feelings. And he asserted this so confidently. Um, and um, another parent looked up. We're in a park. And um, he looked at me and he said, where do you think you got that from? Which I was glad. I was very glad another adult said that. Because I've also seen people say, what's that fat lip? Now you're training to be a little man. You're training to be a little man. Let's get rid of that fat lip. And I thought, how dare you? Like, I thought, you can't, you, you don't know him. You don't know what's wrong with him. You don't know me. And yet you feel you, you can say that to somebody. So when this other parent in the park looked at me and said, I wonder where he got that from. I, my, um, my answer was, he got it from the world. He got it from everywhere. I said, but I'm really worried that he thinks that because I'm worried that one day that might make him ill. You know, there are some strong and silent stereotypes. There's, you know, boys don't cry. There's, by contrast, seeing girls as over-emotional that you can see us setting ourselves up for a whole world of failure. If we don't understand ourselves better, the stereotypes that have an impact on our kids' development and then that how it affects the way they relate to the world. So parenting with well-being, I suppose it's it's helping them to kind of question within reasonable boundaries and in an appropriate way, helping them to question the world that they're in now with hopefully me as a trusted adult and other trusted adults, and then think, what world am I asking them to participate in and to observe and to create as they get older? And how does care for self and care for others be kind of a bedrock of the way that they negotiate the future relationships? So there's a bit of unlearning of things that baggage that we all have, and a bit of trying to just instill a little bit of questioning, you know, things like, what makes you say that? Why do you think that, darling? Like, um, what if this is a feeling and what if that's okay? You know, it's nothing that's massively disruptive, but just enough to say to them in, in, in a way that they can make sense of it doesn't need to be like this. Mm. Yeah, that's very, very helpful. And then thinking about that, building on that point around how do you then talk to children about their well-being? So you said that's part of it and looking after yourself. And I think many of us from our generation, Naomi, we've had particularly mothers because of patriarchy who mm. haven't looked after themselves very well. And we've seen that mm. as a role model. And that's no, that's not criticizing. That's not judgmental. But it kind of hits you at a particular age and you go, sugar, I don't yeah. want to do this for my kids or children around me, whether they are biological yeah. children or not. I think the other thing is there's lots of you know, well-being industry stuff and, and it's the glossy pamphlets and it's the workbooks and it's the coloring books. And I think that's part of a package. But, you know, for you, how, you know, what are the biggest challenges in, you know, talking about mental well-being with your children? Mm -hmm. Well, do you know, it's funny you talked about the glossy pamphlets. Have you ever seen the man that has it all on Facebook? No, I haven't. It flips all the patronizing glossy stuff on its head. So how do I manage? I store a little bit of pineapple in my lip for the, for the whole day, you know, winning at life and um and it's really quite funny because it shows that the, the wellness and i'm not there's nothing wrong with with talking properly about well-being an educated conversation about what it means and how how we we role model it nothing wrong with that at all but actually this is this is one of the things i'm quite firm on um is it that that keeping life going is not all on me and i'm all right with saying that so um and sometimes that can come across as quite harsh. So you talked about patriarchy and the messages it sends us is that, you know, we that we treat we treat boys get away with a lot 
and I love my kids and they're pretty competent little little boys, but uh, there's a world that's going to let them get away with a lot more. They'll be able to make more mistakes. They'll be able to not be judged for it. So as I hear myself sometimes talking about um, care, I feel like I sound quite harsh because I'm saying, no, 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 come on, you've got a job to do here. Let's look at how we can how, how you can do it. Um, you know, I, I my older one told me off for abdicating responsibility the other day, and I said I was very clear with you. This was not my responsibility to take. So I think that for me, it's about appropriate boundaries. It's also about respect for somebody else's capability. The funny sort of um tension that we expect a lot of we expect kids to regulate their emotions in a way that we never expect adults to do, and then by on the flip side of that, we expect nothing of children where they're very good at doing stuff. My my older son, um, it was, was one day, I can't remember how we were talking about it. I thought, this is a, a, a real live example. We're talking about dinner. So I said, I don't really fancy making anything fancy tonight. So we'll just, you know, whatever it was, something easy. And he said, I'll cook. You know, my my he, he um, with adult supervision, he can cook a, cook a meal. You know, so, so it's about equipping kids with the skills to look after themselves um, and the, the boundaries to express themselves as well and getting that balance right. Um, that's really important. So again, I'm very conscious of the gender stereotypes that that I need to help my boys with their feelings, um, but I also have to 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 help them with their competence and to show them what it means to, you know, be at home, to contribute to a household, to think about other people's needs in the world. And um, so that for me is kind of role modeling well being is this, this bedrock of care and cooperation, really. I really love that because I've got someone else in my life a very dear friend and she does that so her her children do do the washing up she's got two boys they do uh, a, a lot of work and then she holds space for the emotions and I think that is the difference between growing up in the 70s 80s and 90s yeah and growing yeah up now. because you're so right when you were saying about regulating your emotions flipping heck that really pulled a cord for me because that's definitely it but then it's also oh no no don't make your bed because you won't be capable and the reverse yeah. is actually really needed mm. it really is yeah exactly like come on we make make our beds up Oh, I don't know how. Okay, let's break it down then, shall we? I'll show you. You grab that corner of the sheet and I'll do the other bit. I can't do it. Let's just have a crack at it then. Does it matter if it doesn't go right the first time? So it's that 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 incremental thing. But yeah, when I think about like um feelings, I you know, I used to joke that I didn't really develop empathy until I was 26, and it was probably sooner. But um we didn't talk about feelings, we couldn't name them really. Um, or far less the effect it was was having. So, you know, the phrase that really stands out for me at the moment is the body keeps the score. And I say that a lot to people. Um, you know, so 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 that I suppose yeah, for me, there's that, you know, coming back to how you, you take care of yourself. But um, but yeah, with with kids, you know, telling them not to cry or telling them, you know, that some of the things are so demeaning, like acting like a baby or, you know, what's that fat lip for? It's like we don't do that. To, well, actually, I suppose people do do it to adults in different ways, but like, don't do that to a child. Let them. The world will not end because the child's unhappy. It'll be they would be catastrophic to deny them that experience when we could have done something about it. And they have to learn to get help. They have to learn to get what they need from that interaction. That's behavior for children is communication. It's not another problem to be stuffed out at a really superficial level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 
yeah I, I, just there's so much in there thank you Naomi so so helpful and I think thinking about the workplace then where people are bringing in their personal culture they're working mm-hmm. in an organizational culture everyone's got different opinions about emotions what's professional and yeah. then a lot of the workforce as we know will be parents that could be traditional parents biological parents adoptive parents you know um, guardians carers etc yeah. what do you think workplaces should be doing given your work that you do on leadership to understand the needs of parents in this area especially around the well-being piece more I think it's an interesting one because I am. Um, I started working um, for myself six years ago, um, as a parent of much at that stage much younger children, and I was in a traditional nuclear family. I'm now a co-parent, self-employed co-parent with two older young children. Um, so I've, I've I suppose it's a, it's a an interesting question to to ask and to answer because I stepped back from the workplace because I felt like being a, there's a difference between a parent, I think, and being a mum in work. I think that's a very important distinction because I felt um, that at the time I was in an employed capacity, I was carrying the baggage that, you know, you've got to work like you don't have a family and you've got to have a family like you don't have a job. And I felt that daily. So I remember I used to, if either of our children were ill, I used to make a point of saying, this is what we will be doing. I will do this bit and their dad will do the other. And that was quite an important part that we had, we, we understood each other's professional start circumstances well enough to know that that was how we could negotiate their care when they needed us at home. And I worked in an organization where that could be done through annual leave, but it wasn't pleasant sometimes having to say to somebody, my child's sick. And the number of times um, I wish I could have, been, wish I'd said, what would you recommend then? Because I know that you know that that you know you have to have an employer who's all right with you taking leave at short notice, where you've got other members of staff that um are would be able to cover that day. But at the time, I just it felt to me like um talking about the needs of parents in the workplace was about how to help mums manage their responsibilities rather than um how to work and life um merge. Um, and I remember another really quite sinister tone that came through in this was that what about the parents or the mums in particular whose whose spouses um, wouldn't facilitate? And that became another stick to beat them with. Well, that's your fault for picking the wrong person. When actually we don't really know what it's like to be a parent until we start being a parent. So I think that, that, that that's taken a kind of massive step back from um, from the question you've asked. But I think it's to understand that our organisations are not neutral. You know, and an awful lot of workplaces implicitly were set up to serve the needs of a of a single career family um, when there was somebody else at home that could do everything else. So I think one of the first things we have to do is actually to talk about the fact that our organisations aren't neutral. Um, and that if we have parents, how do we facilitate productive, fulfilling working lives where people can maintain multiple commitments, which isn't actually just about being a parent. So I'm thinking about um, one of the universities I was familiar with a number of years ago, who, where they found that, the, that flex, their flexible working practices were actually having a huge benefit on more um, senior members of staff who had elderly parents. So we can expand our definition of, of um, how we, I suppose, not just the, the parenting workforce, but the caring workforce, and start to think about something which is much more flexible, but also where we can talk about what it's like to be a parent. Um, you know, and, and I suppose in a sense, for me, it's a hugely galvanizing force. There's nothing that gets me going more 
and showing up to work and showing up for my clients to provide for my kids. Like it's, it, it gets me out of bed. It absolutely does. And, and it doesn't matter what has been going on 10 minutes before. I've still got to show up and do it. But I feel very, very lucky that I've been able to negotiate the, a fulfilling professional portfolio and flexibility. I'd like to see far more conversations among managers, uh, leaders, um, where we don't speak about it. Like the only way people are successful is because they either were able to get lots of expensive help or because somebody else was doing it. You know, um, so it almost it's I almost see this flip side. It was a badge of honor for a while. And it's none of those things, you know, because there's no such thing as having it all either. That, that, that was something that, that that's a myth, too. You know, there's but there's there's whatever it means for us to have a fulfilling professional life. And then there's what we do outside of it. And they're, they're, they're all valid. It's just about bringing everything to the table to try and understand who our colleagues are. And really, one of the best things that any leader can do is actually just to get to know their people. You know, it's people who make the organization work. The tasks obviously need to be done, but it's the people and knowing people that's going to make the, make the biggest difference. Yeah, so beautifully put. And I think that point around workplaces are not neutral in so many senses, not for parents, not for race equity, not for gender equity, not for disability mm-hmm. access. We could yeah. keep going. And p- p- listeners will have heard me say this. I go on and on about the Victoriana nine to five system that we still have, yeah. where the man of the family, middle class, would go to a middle, you know, an office job that was upper to middle class. Then they'd come back. They'd be someone in the house to give them the slippers. It could be the wife and it would be a wife because, you know, it wasn't possible to... Uh, live with someone of the same sex or, uh, you know, it was transitioning or non-binary. And then the woman and the female staff would be in the kitchen cooking the dinner. um, And it would take a long time because that's the way things worked. And then they'd have their dinner and then they'd be in front having, you know, go to the pub maybe or be in front of the fire with a pipe. And actually that's really that, that kind of intrinsic culture seems to have been very pervasive. And they're not really that many workplaces considering that we're in 2023 that are responding to the needs of parents and that point around. And this is one of the reasons I did not want to have children is because I just find the pressure on mothers so great so so immense versus fathers and I think if you've got two mothers there's all the whole backlash that you have to deal from with that and I think if you're two fathers as well there are challenges Uh, but I do still feel it's different for women and the mental load and I've got a really good friend and she said to me Layla you know I tried to get so much gender equity in my relationship I had a child and I've gone back to 1955. Yeah Mm -hmm. She said, it's incredible. She said, you can try and try and try. And I've had several friends tell me this, but actually at the end of the day, I do feel like I've just gone retro and I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, there's a re- there's two things that I want to say to that. One is that if we think about the, the model of the mum doing all the nurturing and the caring, you know, kids miss out then because they haven't had, they haven't had, they haven't had that balance of a relationship in front of them. So there's an imprint there of what, it, you know, who does what in a, in a home. Um, which, you know, that's one thing I'm, I'm really keen to make sure that, that my kids, see, that you know, I 50-50 co-parent. My children have, we're not together, but my children have a relationship with both parents. So there's, there's you know, that there's what kind of presentation of life that has given us implicitly. But then the other part of it, just to think about the friend that you've just described, where it's you just gone retro, is that that ha- didn't happen by accident, and for me, and again, thinking especially about my boys, I would be looking to them to sit, to see and to be able to, for them to start the conversations with their partners about what fair looks like for our life in the future. So who is observing that? That didn't, you know, things like maternal exhaustion, 
that's that's not inevitable. We can't talk about these things like they're inevitable. They're about choices, and it's about about us being able to help people to have the right conversations about being overwhelmed, about all the work, the silent and 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 um invisible work it takes to make a. As my mum said to me when my kids were tiny, what it takes to make a day work, you know. Um, so I actually. There's a, a really funny TV show that I've been watching where the, the mum writes down every single task she's done over X number of years. So dusting lampshades and matching the lids off of Tupperware. You know, all the trivial things, all the things that are, that are seen as funny, but actually we don't function in a house where we can't find things. We don't, we don't function in clutter and dirt um, or without nutrition. All of these things that we expect women to do, this but the mental load, why didn't you do it? Or where's my tea or whatever? I'm, I'm trivializing it now, but it's there and it's implicit in our lives. She made a note of every single thing that she had done and then just disappeared. And she had X number of books in the cupboard. Um, and our, our, um, our husband found them. He wondered where she'd gone. He found them and he's looking at this thinking, I didn't know that lampshades needed dusting. He had no idea that all of this stuff had happened. And she worked out, I have had X number of million minutes of fruitless, free, invisible labor i'm off to the woods and off she went and you can totally see why can't you yeah and and thinking about that point you know you're an incredibly busy person like you said you know you you co-parent you have a business you have lots of other things that go on in your life so how do you look after your own mental health naomi and what are your top three tips you know the main thing is i talk to my friends i'm going to sit in that moment for a minute i think that the, the top three tips. I mean, I could tell you to tell you simple things like I love food. So I really enjoy cooking. Um, I like eating well. I like cooking for people. I like all the normal social things. So all the things that feed the soul and they'll be different for different people. Um, I, I like being outside. Um, I like being I like being busy um, in the moments where um, it's not great. I tell myself it won't last forever. But I think that the quality of our life is so dependent on the quality of our relationships. And I think that would be something that I would tell anybody to do is to is to invest in the friendships they have um, and and lean on them for support in those those difficult moments. And I do actually want to, to kind of bring that to life with another anecdote from with one of my children. Is this idea of how it is I can show him how to do that now so he's not worried about asking for help later. Um, there was one he so I mentioned before about the fact that kids have big emotions and they've got to face massive things in that they see out in the world, but they've got no real um they don't have the depth of experience that can help them to manage. And so that's going to come out in any any number of different ways. But my younger son said to me one day in the car, We're gonna die. And I really, really felt for him. And because obviously, you know, one of the things about being a parent is you can't, or any responsible person, we can't pretend that bad things won't happen. And um, he got really, really upset. And, I, and we were, the traffic was still enough. And I just said, look, I reached back. So will you just hold my hand for a second? Tell me tell me what it feels like to hold mummy's hand. Can you look around you? Can you see the sunshine? Can you see the trees? So these are all the things that are going on around us right now. And I said, darling, I can't pretend that bad things won't happen. But what I want you to remember is that right now you are safe and you're loved. And he said, but I don't want to be a bother. And I said, well, what do you mean, darling? And he said... Well, what if I tell somebody and it upsets them? And um, I said, well, tell me what, what I'm doing right now. And he, and he actually said, he said, you're helping. 
and I thought oh my word I just thought because it didn't it wasn't a lot for me to do was just to stop for a second and just be with him in that moment as I was trying to drive the car in bright sunshine bright autumn sunshine I remember it vividly because it was such a significant moment but um and I said and remember the people that love you will want to help you and any moment that makes your life a little bit better is good for both of you and I thought he's you know I, he might not remember that or he might one day remember that that's something that we did um but but that's that's the thing. So when I think about a moment where I've got to think, how do I take care of myself and how do I show them how to do it? It's those little moments of approach towards something that feels a little bit better than it did five minutes ago, you know, without oh, glossing God. over it or catastrophizing really. It's just making it normal to say, not quite right at the moment. Mm, thank you and I think that's so helpful for us as adults so if you're doing that with children often we forget the things that worked for us as children really work for us as adults as well and yeah. some things you grow out of like I think it's that you know there are okay you know there are situations where I know people on the neurodivergent spectrum might have cuddly toys with them and that's totally understandable yeah uh, for those of us not on the neurodivergent spectrum there but there are there, we might not do that but there are things that we probably forget that help us in childhood so I think that's a yeah. really good reminder of that yeah um, and to also like ask him what works for him you know that like you know what what can I do right now to help me to feel better you know, they won't, if when somebody's in need, then you know we've got a real fear sometimes about giving children latitude, like they're going to ask for the moon and the stars and a stick. But actually, sometimes they just they just want somebody to hold their hand or to tell you something. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. So Naomi, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your energy, your you know your deep insights. If people want to know more about you and your work, and they want to work with you, how should they contact you? And I will of course include these in the show notes. You can find me on LinkedIn. Great. And that's yeah, Dr. Naomi Irvine, isn't it? Yes, Dr. Yes. Naomi Irvine. I'm, if you Google me, Naomi Irvine, I'm the first one on LinkedIn. That was the reason I called my business Naomi Irvine Limited, because I knew I could be found then. Um, and you can find out about me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Listeners, keep joining us for this season where we'll be talking more about equity in parenting and well-being. Until then, take care. And don't forget, you can always message me and tell me what you think of the episodes. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.